y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Daddy. This week on the show, from NPR member station WBUR in Boston, senior producer and host Ben Brock Johnson and reporter Sanindor in Mameka. All right, let's start the show. Betty got it. She was thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. She worked good. hard. I okay. appreciate the yes, effort. Yes. She struggled with mine, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, y'all from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Happy weekend from Boston, where I am this weekend. So excited for uh, Boston WBUR takeover of the show today. Both of my guests are BUR folks. Zeninjor and Wameka, reporter at WBUR covering biz and tech. And Ben Brock Johnson, host of the WBUR and Reddit podcast, Endless Thread, all about... Fun Reddit stuff. Yeah, fun, not fun, scary, <laughs> uh, intriguing. <laughs> so we're joined in studio today uh, by the Rolling Stones and their song "Start Me Up." Not just because it's a great song, uh, but because they're in the news this week. Have you heard the Rolling Stones news? No. What's the Rolling Stones news? Uh, Keith Keith is still alive. They're all still alive <laughs> and very much alive. So the band was set to have this big stadium tour, uh, and then they had to postpone it for a while because Mick Jagger, the lead singer, he actually had heart valve replacement surgery at 75, but he says we're still good to go. The tour is back on. They're doing 17 stadium stops later this year. Wow, that is dedication. Right? And so he posts this video that I want to try to find for you all where he just shows himself dancing wildly. To show that he's back at it again. Oh my he's never going to quit. Oh my gosh. It's insane. Who is his doctor? Someone to interview that person. <laughs> they just updated his software. It just took a little while. <laughs> Living his best life. It is fitting though because this song, Start Me Up, the lyrics say, Start Me Up, I'll Never Stop. That is true for Mick Jagger. That is true <laughs> for him. Yeah. Mick, keep dancing. All right, now let's talk about news news. Oh, yeah. The news news. news. Here we go. Anyway, every week we start the show by asking my guests to describe their week of news in only three words. Zen and Joy, you're up first. Yeah. What are your three words? Thanks, trade war. (laughs) (laughs) It's a trade war, guys. With China. (laughs) Exactly. You know, this back and forth between the U.S. and China, the latest round. Mm -hmm. The Trump administration slapped new tariffs, $300 billion worth of goods from China. China, of course, responded with its own tariffs. But did you guys see the list of the Trump tariffs? I started reading it and I just got depressed. Yeah, it includes (laughs) all the things you love. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it includes so many things. We're talking about everything from live animals to lacrosse sticks. Another thing that I thought was interesting on the Mm -hmm. list is, is something that everyone buys, which is shoes. Really? Yeah, I did some reporting on that this week. Uh And did you know that most of the shoes sold in the U.S. come from China? I don't doubt that now that you say it. I feel like everything comes from China, so I don't. Y- y- it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, but, I mean, in yeah. some way or other, you're probably right. But it's yeah. something like 69% of shoes sold Whoa. in the U.S. So will these tariffs make my shoes cost more money? They're going to make your shoes cost more money. Uh, like how much? Let's say you have a sneaker. Yes. The sneaker right now maybe costs about $160. What are these sneakers? Hey, <laughs> you know, you got to get your, you got to, you okay. know, you got to step your shoe game. The Yeah, right. maybe the Yeezys, maybe something else. But okay. let's say you got some sneakers that uh-huh. right now cost $160. Yes. With the tariffs, they had cost somewhere around $200. And we're not just talking about, like, the high-end shoes. We're talking about across every price point. So even your cheaper shoes would cost a little more. So my question, though, in the year of this trade war, this back and forth between Trump and China, 
he's been doing things to offset some of the impact. So a lot of the agriculture tariffs yeah. have been offset by direct subsidies to farmers. Is there possibility for like a shoe subsidy? <laughs> Maybe I'm out? sure. You know, I'm sure some of these companies are really are looking at that. You yeah. know, I think I think even with on the agriculture side, there's you know some of that is still pending. A mm-hmm. lot of people sort of submitted to kind of get a little bit of a reprieve from those tariffs. Uh, so we'll probably see some footwear companies trying to do the same thing. Um, but again, this is a long list of a lot of things. Yeah. So there's going to be a quite a, a line of uh, yeah. different industries trying to maybe get some bit of a break here. Yeah. This makes me think about when I was 11 years old and I really wanted the Nike Airs. Yeah. And my parents told me I had to get LA Gears. I'm so sorry. Oh. And oh my god. The light up, the ones that lit up, the light up LA Gears. I just I remember they had a there lot of very of people bright in this shoelaces. world. Nike Air people and LA Gear people. I was an LA Gear person and it's interesting, right? You have to think about like I can buy stupid expensive shoes mm-hmm. if I really want to. But I feel like this is going to really impact people who are buying shoes for kids, people yeah. who are on yeah. the line of like being able to buy those shoes. And that makes me, I don't know, that makes me sad still, I yeah, guess. Yeah, but it feels like overall when I talk to people in the world, no one's really buzzing about this trade war. For whatever reason, it hasn't really felt like it's hit our pocketbooks yet. True. Do, d- does this new round in any way seem to indicate that it might start to actually hit us where it hurts? It might. I mean, yeah. we're talking about all sorts of things. I mean, right now we're focusing on shoes, but it's like, you know, spices, meat, all sorts of things, electronics, toys, you know, speaking of, you know, things that you want to buy your kids. Mm. So it's going to impact a lot of different items. And, you know, we can expect that the companies aren't going to eat those costs. The companies are going to pass pass it it on on. to consumers. Of course. My question and my, I kind of marvel at Donald Trump's skill at this, like when you hear farmers and folks in the Midwest who voted for Trump and support him, they'll be asked over and over again, how do you feel about these tariffs? They'll say, it's hurting my pocketbook, it's losing me money, but I still support Donald Trump. Totally. Because his heart's in the right place and someone needs to get China. And he's managed to make this issue that could be purely economic and just about your pocketbook. He's made it emotional and visceral. Mm, That's true. Hearts and minds. Yeah, like he is winning these hearts and minds in a way that is kind of amazing to behold. Yeah. Anyway, my three words are, to the courts... Because we have seen several laws be passed in state houses across the country that will most definitely end up in court. I'm talking about new abortion restrictions in states like Alabama. In that state this week, their governor, Kay Ivey, signed a bill that would ban nearly all abortions in the state. And it makes it a crime for doctors to perform abortions at any stage of pregnancy unless the mother's life is in danger. There's no exceptions for rape or incest. The law is not set to take effect for several months, but there's already folks on the right who say this might be too much. So Mm. Pat Robertson, famous televangelist, he opposes abortion on his show, The 700 Club. He said, quote, I think Alabama has gone too far. He said the law was extreme and says he thinks this law would lose at the Supreme Court. So the question with this is, if you have people on the same side saying this might be too much, what do these lawmakers hope to accomplish with it? I'm not sure yet. It's really interesting, too, to see uh, just the number of personal stories that pop up when this larger debate starts to happen. Like, uh, you know, I was I was scrolling uh, through Twitter last night, as you do, and just Mm -hmm. seeing a lot of people tell personal stories about this, which I think is always helpful to me because it it 
I don't know. It makes me understand the issue better. Yeah. But it is also interesting that there are people on the right who are like, this might go too far. Yeah. Well, and you have not just Alabama passing laws like this. Missouri this week passed an abortion bill that bans abortion at eight weeks of pregnancy. Uh, Georgia, Mississippi, Kentucky, and Ohio have also passed laws that ban abortion after heartbeat is detected. And a lot of folks are saying all of this is happening right now because after decades of trying, the GOP has succeeded in packing a lot of courts all throughout the country, even the Supreme Court, with conservatives. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, yeah, there are many people who believe Roe v. Wade is settled case law, but clearly there are many uh, Republican lawmakers who are pushing for these bans who, you know, they're looking at the Supreme Court and saying, hey, we have a conservative majority. Now is the time to take a shot at it. Yeah, yeah. Well, And this is... This is like the culmination. Yeah, it's like 30 years in the making or something. Yeah. So, I mean, for decades across the country, the GOP has been really focused on winning state houses Mm -hmm. and winning court uh, seats. Yeah. And so when you do both of those things, you can pass a law that might be out of the mainstream, but can rely on it possibly moving through the courts and being upheld. Well, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see how this plays out with other states. So mm-hmm. we've already seen other states following Alabama will more follow. But then on the other side, the blue states, will there be sort of a pushback to that? I mean, yeah. we're already seeing here in Massachusetts, at least there is a bill basically looking to sort of strengthen huh. the laws here. Mm, and so yeah. I think we might even start to see some of the more liberal areas, oh, blue yeah. states. We've start seen states to, like New York, yeah. Vermont, Rhode Island. Yeah. They've gone the other way with abortion. You know, I think this is definitely going to royal the 2020 race for sure. And oh, yeah. uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders in studio with two great guests, Zeninjor and Romeka, reporter at WBUR covering biz and tech, and Ben Brock Johnson, host of the WBUR and Reddit podcast, Endless Thread. What are your three words? Face-based race. (laughs) Say that 10 times fast. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, this is this story. Um, This week, San Francisco has become the first U.S. city to ban the use of facial recognition technology by the police and local government agencies. When I saw this, I didn't know that people were doing this already. I know. Oh, yeah. It's been happening for a while. It's been happening for a while, and it's also— in Especially within law enforcement. Right. And it's really interesting because we don't have a lot of transparency with how police departments across the country are using this technology. Mm -hmm. And, you know, big picture, I think the facial recognition story is about how our behaviors around technology as consumers, Mm -hmm. basically like buy now, ask questions later— Um, is influencing sectors that are not consumers at all, right? Law enforcement um, basically opting into stuff that we don't really understand fully how it works yet. And And they don't tell us they're using it. And they don't tell us they're using it or how they're using it. And this is like so scary uh, and fascinating for a lot of different reasons. So San Francisco's Board of Supervisors, they say, all right, no city agency or department, including the police, can use this facial ID technology. Right. Uh, SF police hadn't started using it yet, but they were about to. Yep. So they stopped them from doing it. But, like, I also wonder how much corporate interest uses this as well. I remember reading, gosh, a few months ago that when you went to Taylor Swift concerts, 
she, they would facial scan you. It's everywhere. I mean, uh, airlines are experimenting with this. Which um, airlines? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to... JetBlue. JetBlue. I was going to yeah. say JetBlue. Yeah, they're yeah. doing Jet that here in Boston. So. JetBlue, no more. <laughs> and, it's, and it is really scary, and especially this, this idea of data discrimination, right? This idea that hmm. these uh, algorithms and these, these forms of software that are being built, and this is, this is something called computer vision, which has been really in the works for a long time. Essentially, teaching computers, teaching machines to get really high-level data hmm. um, from visual information. Mm-hmm. I talked to a, a venture capitalist like four years ago now hmm. and said, what are you interested in? What are you like investing in? And he was like, computer vision, man. I'm really? all in on yeah. computer vision. Really? And, and it has these, it has applications that I think have a lot of promise, right? This idea that you think about uh, license plate scanners, right? Yeah. And yes, it's nice that I don't have to stop at a toll booth mm-hmm. um, when I'm driving on the highway necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you have to think about data storage. You have to think mm-hmm. about who has access to that information mm-hmm. and for how long. And there are a lot of police departments that are thinking about using this in the same way that China is using it. Just sucking in all of this information publicly while you're walking around in the world. So not actually trying to match somebody's face against a database of people who have already had run-ins with the law, which is also problematic in some ways, but actually sucking in data on your face and like getting, getting a profile on you when you've done nothing wrong and you're just so, walking through the city. But here's my question. Ben. Yes, yes. So Facebook tries this little facial ID stuff with me and photos that I have. They make yep. it real cute, too. And it yeah. mixes me up with every black friend I have. See, I know. And that's the big issue. Yes. Right? Where it's, I mean, with a lot of this technology, there are so many biases that are being huh. programmed into it. Huh. Because of who is programming it. It's huh. largely... White uh, dudes. Largely white dudes. Yep. Is there a reality, though, in which these police departments get it right and say we can do this fairly and we can trust it and say this could be good? Right. Or no? I think potentially. I mean, in the San Francisco case, right, But part of the idea of, of stopping use of this technology now is let's wait. Let's mm. let's figure out how to use this. Let's mm. figure out how to build this technology so that it works first before we deploy it. Yeah. And again, I think it has potential. I think, you know, you look at any one of us, I'm sure, can look at recent history and be pretty skeptical about how police departments might use this technology effectively or not. And also, like, you're being conditioned to accept it by your devices and by these tech platforms. Does your iPhone scan your, does it scan your face too, the iPhone? Uh, I don't know because I'm an Android. Okay. Yeah, but, me too. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 their but their apps are already doing this, right? I mean, you've seen yeah. you've seen like Snapchat put filters on your face, uh, and yeah. like you know, like I think this technology we're already sort and they of, make it fun, so you yeah. don't even think about what else that's capturing about you. Snapchat made cozy. me a lady last week. I was like, oh, I got it. <laughs> it's nice, right? Speaking of scary tech stuff, you have a recent episode all about uh, scary tech. <laughs> or yes. the scary things tech does to us? Yes. Well, um, Endless Thread, uh, the podcast that I make um, uh, with with uh, an excellent team here at WBUR, uh, has a series all about, it's called Infectious, the strange, pa- <laughs> the strange past and surprising present of vaccines and anti-vaxxers. Oh, yeah. That's what our latest episode is about. All right, time for a break. Coming up, we're going to talk about the most bonkers singing competition you probably never, ever watched. It's called the Eurovision Song Contest. After the break, we're going to tell you why you should watch and how this show, this competition, is equal parts American Idol and Model UN. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. 
This message comes from NPR sponsor, Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. With a franchised network of highly trained agents and advanced marketing tools, Berkshire Hathaway Home Services network members aim to provide something more than just real estate. They think beyond the next transaction and build relationships based on your long-term goals to ensure you'll get all the value that home brings, year after year, home after home. All that more they do, that's home services. Start your home search at BerkshireHathawayHS.com. Support also comes from VSP Individual Vision Plans, offering coverage for a low monthly cost if you don't have vision coverage through an employer. You'll get access to the nation's largest network of independent doctors and hundreds of name brand frames. Plus, you can save more than $200 a year. VSP believes you deserve to see better for life for less. Discover for yourself at needvspcoverage.com. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about a new podcast coming out this week from NPR. It's called White Lies. The show is all about the murder of Reverend James Reeb that took place in Selma, Alabama in 1965. Three men were tried and acquitted, but no one was ever held to account. Until now. 50 years later, two journalists returned to the town where it all happened to uncover a story about guilt and memory that says as much about America today as it does about the past. Listen and subscribe to White Lies. All right, back to the show. We're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders in studio with two guests, Zeninjor and Mameka, reporter at WBUR covering biz and tech, and Benjamin Brock Johnson, host of the WBUR and Reddit podcast, Endless Thread. I'm not going to say the whole, get it wherever you get your podcast. Well, duh. <laughs> it's an unnecessary Just statement. like this one. Exactly. Hello. The one yeah. you're listening to yeah. right now. Same way you got this, go get his. <laughs> All right. Uh, I want us to turn now and talk about a very big, very, very big event happening this weekend. It is a competition that pits nation against nation, a battle that most Americans will not watch and probably have never even heard of. Uh, I'm talking about the Eurovision Song Contest. I'm not your toy. What you're hearing right now is uh, last year's winning song by an artist named Netta from Israel. It's called Toy. Uh, and the finale of this year's Eurovision Song Contest is Saturday around 3 East Coast times. But you can still go back and find clips. It's worth checking out. Uh, basically, this competition pits 42 countries against each other in this singing competition that is watched by hundreds of millions of people across the globe. Um, aside from, like, the Olympics and the World Cup, it is one of the very few monocultural events that we have left in the world. It's a big deal. Um, and I feel like because most Americans don't know a thing about it, I want them to. So I asked Eurovision expert and NPR uh, pop culture happy hour panelist and writer Glenn Weldon to join me to give you all a Eurovision singing contest 101. Glenn, hi, how are you? Hey, very well, thanks. I want to jump into all of this Eurovision chatter with you, a Eurovision expert, but I realize that we have to start by clearly explaining what exactly Eurovision is mm -hmm. for a lot of Americans who don't know and how big of a deal it is. Uh, there's a formula. So you take American Idol, mm. you multiply that by the Olympics, <laughs> you sprinkle over a whisper of RuPaul's Drag Race, and then you divide it all by Model UN. Uh, this is huge. Uh, what I love about this competition 
which involves uh, 42 different countries, each selecting a song that competes head-to-head against each other. And it's uh, new songs, right? New songs. They must be, it must be a new song. They must sing it live. Uh, and once the songs are over, which takes a lot of time, then the voting starts. And the voting is needlessly complicated, but here's how it works. Every country gets <laughs> a panel of five judges who are in some way associated with the music industry, plus viewers vote. Uh, and then so there's a voting window, then it closes. And then my favorite part of this thing is this process of tallying the votes, which a lot of people hate, but I love because it is so awkward, Sam. So what happens is mm-hmm. the hosts stare down the barrel of the camera and interview representatives from all 42 countries mm-hmm. who then tell how their jury voted. And that all happens over, you know, there's always a satellite delay and the representative of the country is usually a local celebrity who wants to do a bit. Oh and then God. their popular vote is released. Now, you can come into this. <laughs> Wait, there's like an electoral college and a popular vote. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you get part like of like a constitutional convention, which is like the proud state of Montana casts all its vote for blah. <laughs> and then the popular vote comes in and there's this ranking that you can see. And what I love about it, even a cynical jerk like me goes into this thing. By the end of it, it is so exciting, Sam, because uh, these these rankings keep shifting. So there's no sense of inevitability, like this guy's got a lock. You always are surprised. There's all it's volatile until the very end, and it's hugely exciting. Does it like actually launch careers? Like, is the winner of Eurovision this year going to be Europe's Kelly Clarkson? Uh, it is huge in Europe because <laughs> it has been around for 64 years now, and that's mm-hmm. something. I, I think it's hard for Americans to wrap their heads around how big this is there. Mm. I mean, this is something that they take enormous pride in. There's great mm-hmm. nationalism about it, but it's kind of nationalism with a dance beat. You know, fun mm-hmm. nationalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is culturally inescapable for this, what's called Eurovision Week. Uh, and people gather in their homes. They go to bars to watch and vote. And here's what people like me react to. This kind of eager, unapologetic, fully over-the-top cheesiness. So when you watch, you'll see pyrotechnics, glitter, elaborate light shows. Some countries will come out in traditional costumes. A lot will come out in fetish gear. Uh, About three quarters of the songs this year are in English. That's pretty much par for the course. And then what the bread and butter of Eurovision is, is uh, dance pop. So if you can imagine stumbling onto a dance floor in Ibiza or Mykonos and hearing the kind of oonts, 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 that's That's what Eurovision is all about. So, okay, there are, I've heard reports anywhere from 200 million viewers worldwide or more. That is enough to talk about with Eurovision. But on top of that, the contest itself is always really, really political, even though the organizers say it is not supposed to be. Of course. And the biggest controversy I can remember is in 2016. uh, The winner was Jamala from Ukraine. She sang a song called 1944, which was about she said, the uh, ethnic cleansing of Crimea by Stalin in the 40s. Um, And Russia complained. Russia said, this song is a political statement. It's about our recent annexation of Crimea. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a lot of back and forth, a lot of saber rattling. But in the end, the Russian representative congratulated her for winning. This year, Ukraine has withdrawn from the competition because um, the, the winner, the person who won their Ukrainian contest, did not cancel, refused to cancel any dates she had in Russia. And Ukraine said, we're not going to send you if you don't. Oh. And so they pulled her from the competition. Yeah. Well, this year, the big political, not scandal, but the, the big political dispute with Eurovision is where it's being held. Yeah. So every year, the winner of the previous year, that country 
hosts the whole contest. Uh-huh. Last year's winner is from Israel, so this year Eurovision's happening in Israel. But a lot of folks who might be competing say, we don't like that, and they are urging boycotts of the competition. Yeah. Uh, Palestinian singers protested by performing on the rubble of a building destroyed in fighting in the Gaza Strip. Other nations have threatened to boycott the location as well. Um there are some reports and some analysts that think that Eurovision being in Israel this weekend has led to a recent uptick in violence along the Gaza Strip. Mm-hmm. It's kind of bananas. Yeah. Does that kind of underlying tension ever at all affect the actual singing of the songs and the pageantry, you know, the day of, Glenn? They certainly try to keep it out of it, but it's impossible that it doesn't. I mean, I think the Icelandic group, they've gone out of their way to say that they support the Palestinian cause and uh, that will come out in some way. Uh, The thing about this contest is is that it is a very unserious thing that people take very seriously. Mm. And last year when Israel won, the big thing was... It took a while for us to know whether we we're going to hold the contest in Jerusalem or Tel Aviv. I think huh. cooler heads prevailed, and it's in Tel Aviv, not Jerusalem. Jerusalem would just add fuel to that fire even more. Yeah. So then do we ever see when Eurovision deals with these geopolitical conflicts that in some magical, wonderful, musical way, Eurovision itself helps to soothe some of these tensions? Or are we asking too much of oh, a show like this? Sam, you're adorable. Oh, oh. that's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's... Can music bring the world together, Glenn? No, it can't. No. Uh, but uh, okay. but it can be this huge spectacle that uh, for, uh, I was going to say for two hours, it's more like four. Oh, my. <laughs> people, oh, my. The, the world can gather and, and drink and look at spectacles. And if you're looking out for this year, here's a couple things I want you to watch out for. Cyprus okay. has a uh, mid-song costume reveal, uh, which is a lot of fun. And uh, it's, that's what I meant about that little sprinkling of RuPaul. Sweden has this weird gospel-inflected thing going on. Here for but it. if I had to pick one, it's uh-huh. uh, San Marino, uh, who has a song called Say Na Na Na, which is a kind of club banger, and it is quintessentially Eurovision. It is a middle-aged dude, uh, and I can say that, I'm a middle-aged dude, who stands pretty much stock still while these two dancers are doing very athletic things all around him. And Sounds a, like a Mariah Carey concert. Absolutely. That gives you, <laughs> it gives you some Mariah vibes. And the, the lyrics are like, don't forget my number, call me anytime, be the hero, be the rainbow, life is beautiful and fun. So, be the hero, <laughs> be the rainbow. Thank you, Glenn. Talk to you soon. Thanks, man. All right, bye. Bye. You would think Americans would know more about Eurovision because it gave us not just ABBA, but also Celine Dion. Oh, yes. I didn't know that. Yes. She was, she was Canada's... No, she entered for Switzerland. Uh, yeah. Whoa. Yeah. But, wow. like, I don't know. Like, that is... That's bigger than Kelly Clarkson. Yeah. We just don't care, though. We need to care. We need to care. Also, um, I disagree with Glenn. I think music should potentially bring the people together. The people together. Okay. <laughs> I, think, I, th- I believe like you do. I want it to happen. Yeah. Uh, I will say, listeners, even if you miss the finals, just go start Googling Eurovision videos. you got to watch it. This stuff is wacky. <laughs> also, speaking of big cultural events, do not miss Glenn Weldon's recap for NPR.org of the Game of Thrones finale. He'll mm. also be on a Pop Culture Happy Hour episode all about that show finale as well. Um, bigger question from all of this. Do we think the monoculture is going away? And by monoculture, I mean cultural events or things or trends that basically all of us consume together. Right. 
Oh. This is a great question. I saw this uh, yeah. piece on, I think, The Ringer that was about how Game of Thrones is like the last piece of monoculture. But a lot of folks don't watch that show. Yeah. I, is you it? don't say. I feel like there's so many communities around TV shows. I mean, I personally know so many people who are very upset to hear that, you know, there's going to be a one-year break for Insecure. There's uh, plenty. Wait, there's going to be yes, a one-year? Yes, I know. Ooh. I mean, you but know, you know Issa's too busy. Because she's making movies. She's making movies. Yeah. She's doing a lot of good things. That show, as great as it is, uh, the viewership per episode is like less than a million people which yeah. is fine that gets you what you need but it's not you know monocultural right anyway it's time for a break when we come back my favorite game who said that BRB support for this podcast and the following message come from Verbo finding the perfect vacation home is hard you start off looking for a beach house big enough for six and wind up watching videos of surfing dogs. Verbo does the hard work for you. Whatever your budget or what you want from the home, a yard, grill, or even a private pool, Verbo's got you covered. Download the Verbo app, V-R-B-O, to discover everything from condos and cabins to villas and castles. Let Verbo find a home that matches you. Support also comes from BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who specialize in issues such as depression, stress, anxiety, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment at your convenience. Get help at your own time and your own pace. Schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. Visit BetterHelp.com minute to learn more. A lot of people are excited that I mentioned on the air yesterday that I'll be on Fresh Air with Terry Gross on NPR. It happened. I finally got to interview Howard Stern. There was so much to talk about. It's a two-parter. You can listen on the Fresh Air podcast. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders, here this week with two guests, Ben Brock Johnson, host of the WBUR and Reddit podcast, Endless Thread, and Zeninjor and Wameka, reporter at WBUR, covering biz and tech. Time for my favorite game, Who Said That? Ooh, Who said that? Who said that? Y'all know how it works at this point. I think it's pretty straightforward. I share a quote from the week. You both have to guess who said it or get the story that I'm referring to or get a keyword. Uh, I'll probably give you hints because I'm nice. The winner, of course, gets absolutely nothing. Mm, the fight was so bitter because <laughs> the, the stakes were so small. That's it. That's <laughs> it. All right. First quote. Ready? It is fire. I am hyped. Ooh. So an that's a-, a good quote. This is an actor slash musician. Oh, no. going to be on the big screen this spring very soon. Oh, my God. Actor slash musician. Actor slash musician. This spring. Oh, God. uh, It's a he. Right. He raps and he acts. I was going to say Kanye just because it seemed... Not Kanye. But another rapper. Raps Raps and acts. Raps and acts. The original rapper-actor combo. Come on, y'all. Yes, say it louder. Oh, Will Smith. <laughs> Will Smith. <laughs> yes. I already got it wrong, so I figured uh, I should okay. wait. Sorry. It's okay. Senator, sorry. So cool. this <laughs> week, so we all know that Will Smith is going to be in the live action remake of Aladdin. <sighs> yes, he's the genie. He's the genie. Yes. And we just saw a few months ago him in all blue, which scared the heck out of me. Yeah. But now they've released some audio and video of the film, and mm-hmm. there's this clip of Will Smith as the genie singing the classic Prince Ali, mm. but everyone kind of hated it. Oh, yeah. No. Prince Ali, fabulous he, Ali Ababwa. Show some respect, boy, genuflect. Down on one knee, 
for this. I, I heard some auto tune. I feel like I'm hearing some auto tune. I'm like and waiting I don't for like him it. to say, "Welcome to Miami." <laughs> Here's my thing, and I've railed against this before on the show. Yes. We don't need all the reboots and the remakes. Sometimes the original is fine. This is proof that Hollywood is out of ideas. Yes. I'm saying and we got to get more people in there who have yeah. other stories to tell. Yes. Come on. Yes. I'm yes. Uh, ben, you whispered to that point, but you yes. have one point right now. Thank you very much. Uh, <gasps> next right. quote. You ready? You're not children anymore. I didn't mind explaining photosynthesis to you when you were 12, but you're adults now, and this is an actual crisis. Got it? Ooh, Ugh. it's got to be about climate change. It is. Who uh, rails about oh. climate change right now? Um, is the, it one is, of the world's uh, most famous scientists? Uh, oh, um, but not Bill Nye. Yes. Oh. Oh. oh, I'm doing so bad. It's okay. That it's is okay. Bill Nye of Bill Nye the Science Guy fame going yeah. off recently. Also, not a child anymore himself. Not a yeah. child anymore. <laughs> so he was on John Oliver's late night show a few days ago, and he was talking about how mad he is about how dense us folks can sometimes be about climate change. We have the tape. What I'm saying is the planet's on fire. There are a lot of things we could do to put it out. Are any of them free? No, of course not. Nothing's free, you idiots. Grow the up. You're not children anymore. I didn't mind explaining photosynthesis to you when you were 12, but you're adults now, and this is an actual crisis. Got it? Safety glasses off. Whoa. Does this... Does this I wasn't act- ready for that. Yeah, nor was I. But also, bigger question, does this move the needle at all? Bill Nye yelling at folks. He's not wrong, though. Yeah, he's not. Has, has Bill Nye the science guy ever been wrong? <laughs> Probably not. Yeah, yeah. Anywho, third quote. You ready? Guess the business that said this. I'm giving you a hint already. The quote is, so pack your swimsuit, mark your calendars, and start the countdown because the bell is about to make all of your taco dreams come true. Who said that? Taco, taco Bell. Bell. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you both get that point. So there's going to be a new Taco Bell pop-up hotel and resort in Palm Springs, California. It's opening this summer for just a few days. I would go to that. Why? Here's the thing. <laughs> I like Palm Springs. Yes, yeah, so do I. And also, I haven't been in a swimming pool yet because it's been raining for eight years, it feels like. Uh, yeah. At yeah. least here in Massachusetts. Yeah. yeah. So if you put me on a plane right now to go to Palm Springs Taco Bell Resort, I would go. Oh, my God. I don't know. I just feel like if I'm going to California, I'm going somewhere else to eat tacos. No shade. <laughs> totally yes. fair. Totally so fair. they haven't released photos of the resort, but there are images of what I guess are going to be the pool floaties they use, which oh no. look like they're hot sauce packets. Wow. Oh, no. That's clever. That's <laughs> no, not bad. Um, <laughs> that concludes the game. You did really well. Then enjoy, but Thanks. Ben won. All I, right, I, it's cool. It's we fine. can share the trophy. It's fine. We'll share. It's you fine. Can... It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Congratulations to you both for being excellent sports. Thank you. Uh, that concludes who said that. All right, now it's time to end the show as we always do. Every Friday, we ask our listeners to share with us the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. They do. Brent, hit the tape. Hey, Sam. It's Sonia. And Taylor. And the best thing to happen to us this week is happening right now as we sit next to a river on our very first camping trip of the year. Thanks. 
Hi, Sam. This is Kelly in Washington, D.C. The best thing that happened to me this week, it's about to happen. I'm finally graduating from college. I'm getting my bachelor's degree. I am finally graduating with my bachelor's degree. I'm graduating with my master's degree on Saturday. My master's of public administration. My MSW. I finally graduated law school. I successfully defended my dissertation. And I'm just really looking forward to being done and having some free time back. Yeah, uh, Sam Sanders. Uh, this is Florin. The best thing that happened to me all week long is moving to Seattle, Washington. Hey Sam, it's Heather. I recently moved in with my boyfriend to the same town where I teach high school. The best thing that happened to me this week was when my student and her mother brought me a homemade apple pie to welcome me to the neighborhood. Hi Sam, this is Jackie from Louisville, Kentucky. I'm calling to tell you that my best part of my week is that I just walked out of my final day of student teaching to become a school librarian. Um, I've also been working on the nights and the weekends, so I haven't seen my kids much. And now I get to. And just to be super cliche, we're going to Disney World together next week. So thanks, Sam. Thanks for all you do. Thanks. Congratulations to all the other graduates of 2019. And, um, do awesome things in the world. Shout out to librarians in Disney World. Aww. Everywhere. That's librarians everywhere. Thing. Oh, my God. Congrats to everyone that we just heard from. Uh, Sonia and Taylor, Kelly, John, Tyler, Rachel, Susan, Tiffany, Molly, and Emma, and all the other graduates. Thanks to Florine and Heather and Jackie. Thank you for the work that you do. Librarians, we need y'all all the time. We appreciate you. That was so sweet. What's the best part of y'all's week? Finishing this airs. episode that I got done yesterday, uh-huh. the, just barely. Uh oh. Yeah. yeah, it's done now. Being here with you guys, this oh, is fun. This is really oh, fun. Man. This is really fun. Yeah. Um, I got to spend a few days in New York before I came up to Boston, but but while I was in New York uh, on that Saturday last weekend, it was a perfectly sunny, beautiful day, and I went to Central Park and napped in Central Park. I did that thing that you do That's in New beautiful. York, and it was wow. golden. I really loved it. That's beautiful. All the good things. All the good things. Mm. All right, that's it for the show. We're going to go out on the wonderful sounds of the eternal Mick Jagger uh, playing his song Start Me Up to celebrate him recovering from heart valve surgery and going back on tour. Wow, good for him. This week, the show was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson. Our fearless editors are Jordana Hochman and Alex McCall. Our big boss, NPR Senior VP of Programming, is Anya Grundman. Many thanks to the folks in Boston for their help today. Glenn Alexander, Paul Vikas, and the rest of the staff here at WBUR for all of their help. And so much thanks and love to WBUR, because I got my start here in public radio 10 years ago. All right, listeners, till next time, thank you for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. 